Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tea and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another episode of Cryptique. You all are the best. Keep sharing these episodes on your favorite social media sites, and we'll keep bringing you free content. Check out the link in the show notes to find out about the incredible Parabox Mystery T-Shirt subscription service. And if you join, Cryptique will get a little kickback, allowing us to keep the internet up at the studios. We like to joke and lighten up the mood whenever possible, but not tonight. Well, maybe one. Joined as always by a man who's woken up in a bathtub full of ice twice with notes that say call 911. Right. What's up? <laughs> it's very uh, on brand. All right. You want to you want to get us started here? What are we talking about? We are talking about organ harvesting and genocide in the CCP. Mounting evidence tells a terrible tale of murder and mutilation in China. Witnesses and Chinese physicians reveal that tens of thousands of Falun Gong practitioners are being killed for their organs, which are sold and transplanted at enormous profit. After months of investigation, including undercover interviews with doctors through 12 provinces in China, we come to the regrettable conclusion that these allegations are true, according to David Kilgore, former Canadian Secretary of State. The kidneys, livers, and hearts are often sold on demand to patients who can afford them. That is, the prisoners of conscience are tissue-typed and then killed once a matching patient is found for their organs. So who is doing this? The perpetrators are officials of the Chinese Communist Party, acting in cahoots with surgeons, prison authorities, and military officials. Victims are held in concentration camps prior to dissection, after which the body's remains are immediately cremated. The story, almost too dreadful to believe, was first revealed in March of 2006 when a woman stated that as many as 4,000 Falun Gong had been killed for their organs at the hospital in which she had worked. She also said that her husband, a surgeon at the same hospital outside the northeastern city of Shenyang, had disclosed to her that he had removed cornea from the living bodies of 2,000 Falun Gong adherents. One week later, a Chinese military doctor not only corroborated the woman's account, but claimed that such atrocities were taking place in 36 different concentration camps throughout the country. 
He said he had also witnessed the Falun Gong being massively transported across the country in cattle trains at night and under the cover of tight security. Falun Gong supporters and human rights activists overseas immediately began investigating the allegations. They placed calls to Chinese hospitals pretending to be shopping for a kidney or a liver. To their horror, one doctor after another openly confirmed, we've got Falun Gong in stock, just come in and we can get you the organ within a week. Shocked by these reports, two prominent Canadian human rights lawyers launched their own independent investigations. They were former Secretary of State for Asia-Pacific David Kilgore and renowned Canadian human rights attorney David Mattis. In July of 2006, they published their 140-page report. It drew the regrettable conclusion that the allegations are true. This investigation uncovers the on-demand nature of organ transplants in China and the abundance of organs despite the lack of a functional donation system. On June 22nd of 2016, they published an update to their report. It shows continued expansion of transplantation capacity after organ harvesting first came to light in 2006, driving factors behind the industry's growth and the role of party and government agencies and individual officials in implementing and perpetuating the systematic killing of prisoners of conscience for their organs. While Chinese officials typically say that China transplants about 10,000 organs a year, this update shows this annual figure surpassed by just a few hospitals. Based on government-imposed minimum capacity requirements for transplant centers, the total system-wide capacity since 2000 would have easily reached over 1 million transplants. Given that the vast majority of these hospitals well exceed the minimum requirements, the number of transplants performed in China is staggering. This sounds like a horror story, right? But it's true. So, just keep that in mind. There's literally an episode of Angel about this. Of what? Don't say Angel. Angel, uh, the spinoff from yeah. Buffy. I'm fairly certain. There's one, yeah, they're like harvesting body parts, like this law firm. There's this evil law firm, I don't remember what they were called anymore, but I remember there was an episode where, like, one of the lawyers there, like, finds out, you know, he something happens and he, like, loses mm-hmm. a hand, and they just give him a new hand. And then all this weird stuff starts happening, and he eventually finds a room with these, like, vats in it and these tanks, and it, there are people floating mm-hmm. in them. And he finds out that they're, like, keeping them alive as long as possible, but they're removing parts from them. Yeah. And it's, like, some, you know, paranormal, like, haunted thing. Like, that person is still somehow connected to their hand, but whatever. But it's, yeah, it's, like, it's so awful. It's a plot for, like, a kind of goofy antenna TV vampire show. <laughs> I don't think that a lot of people know about this. And, you know, if you have, let's just throw it out there because it's a huge country. Just say you have 15,000 people on death row because, you know, death row in China is for a lot uh, lighter offenses than what it is here. Like typically here, if you get the death penalty, it's for like aggravated first degree murder or you know, serial killing or, or something like that. But in China, it's a lot different. You know, I mean, we, we know that they're super strict, like you, oh, well, you said something bad about Xi Jinping. So, you know, you're going, you're going to one of these death camps, basically, say you have 15,000 people on death row, right? And you do 20,000 heart transplants, and then say it's all from, you know, death row prisoners. That's pretty easy to you know, point out the flaw in the map there where, no, you're obviously getting hearts from other people than just death row inmates. Right. And obviously kidneys, there's two. So, you know, the numbers are a little bit different, but 
yeah, I mean, mathematically, it's easy to figure out that China's doing many more organ transplants than they have death row inmates. So just know if you're heading to China, I mean, I, I get it. You know, it's like if I had, say, liver failure and I needed a new liver. One of my cousins is undergoing a liver transplant today. What a strange coincidence. <laughs> you know, if I knew I was going to die in three months without, you know, a liver transplant, then... I mean, going to China to, you know, do their, what do they call it, uh, organ transplant. Oh, like transplant tourism or something like that? Transplant tourism. So just keep in mind that if you go to China, you know, you might be getting your organs from a healthy, innocent person. Yeah. But to answer your question, what is Falun Gong? So... Falun Gong is an ancient Chinese spiritual discipline in the Buddhist tradition. It consists of moral teachings, a meditation, and four gentle exercises that are a truly unique and highly effective way to improve your health and energy levels. At the core of Falun Gong are the values of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. And those kind of go you know, 100% against what we see from the Chinese Communist Party. There's no truthfulness, no compassion, and no tolerance. So it makes them kind of an easy target, I think. Falun Gong teaches that these are the most fundamental qualities of the universe and takes them to be a guide for daily life and practice. In the words of Falun Gong's founder, Mr. Li Hongzi, Quote, assimilation to the highest qualities of the universe is the foundation of the practice. Practice is guided by these supreme qualities and based on the very laws which underlie the development of the cosmos. By 1999, Falun Gong had grown to become the largest and fastest growing practice of the sort in Chinese, if not world, history. In just seven years since 1992's introduction to the public, an estimated 100 million people were practicing Falun Gong. Today, Falun Gong is practiced in more than 80 countries around the world, with clubs and associations existing in a range of cities, companies, universities, and other settings. So when I think of Falun Gong, I think of it as kind of similar to Tai Chi, yoga, kind of a, you know, a healthy practice. Um, you know, psychologically and certainly physically, because Falun Gong practitioners generally do not drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, or take any kind of drugs. And they eat healthy and have a healthy practice to keep your body and in, in mind in shape. So who's a better target for having good organs that you can harvest, Right. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It's like an organ pool of healthy people. Yeah, primo organs, nothing used, refurbished here. They're all fresh. Exactly. I'm thinking about a guy that I know who comes into the bar all the time, and he's always drinking like kombucha, and he, yeah, his organs, I bet, are would fetch a high price. Especially well, in just make sure you don't say his name because the <laughs> Communist Party has long tentacles. Yeah, well, I'm I'm saving him for myself for later in life. <laughs> All right. All right. There's our one joke for this episode. All right. Tell us how this could happen. To understand how organ harvesting could happen in China, it is crucial to understand that there's no limit to how far the Chinese Communist Party will go to wipe out something or someone. When the persecution started in July of 1999, the Chinese regime called Falun Gong the biggest threat to national security since Tiananmen Square 10 years ago. 
and today they are more terrified than ever. Official Communist Party documents recently issued have stated, The competition against Falun Gong is the principal means of competition for the hearts and minds of the masses. Jiang Zemin, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party when the persecution began, was seeking a way to consolidate his own power while also eliminating the largest movement of thought in recent Chinese history. To achieve his goals, he knew he needed one thing more than anything. Hate. The key to carrying out the persecution has been to instill hatred in the masses toward Falun Gong. With the largest propaganda network in the world, he launched a campaign of villainous lies and slander targeting Falun Gong practitioners, their beliefs, and the founder of the practice, Li Hongzhi. Since the persecution began, Falun Gong practitioners have shown the world the truth of the situation, though, and each day the scales of public sentiment are tipping ever in the favor of compassion over hatred. A 2012 party document uncovered a plan across several geographically disparate locations to create a climate in which Falun Gong are treated, quote, like rats running across the street that everyone shouts out to smash, don't leave them any space, end quote. It largely succeeded in creating a public opinion that Falun Gong practitioners are something less than human. And with that achieved, the public no longer needed to have human feelings of sympathy for these practitioners. Whether someone's neighbor, parent, child, or friend, Falun Gong practitioners were immediately branded for purging from society. It is exactly the same tactic used by the Nazis against the Jews and of every dictator carrying out genocide. What's going on right now is very similar to what the Nazis did. So everybody hates Nazis, right? But I still see stickers on cars with the, you know, the Chinese star on it and stuff like that. And it's like, do you understand the CCP is targeting innocent people to make a huge profit from their organs? This is going on in China right now. So just think about that. We know what happened with the Nazis. We know how they, you know, spread propaganda. But this is happening in China right now. And the world is just kind of looking the other way. And in 50 years, you know, once this absolutely comes out and there's proof for everybody, people are going to look back and say, how did they not do anything? How did this happen on our watch? How did another genocide happen? Mm -hmm. But everybody wants to feel good and, you know, watch funny movies on TikTok and play games on their phone. And nobody wants to think about the fact that as we speak, an innocent group of people are being targeted for murder and profit by their government. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I feel like it's a dangerous trend in general that we seem to my mind to be separating ourselves into groups mm -hmm. more and more and when you separate yourself from people when you don't see yourself as one with you know the universe yeah well or with your fellow americans or your fellow st louisans or whatever else when you're like i am this first you know that seems to kind of open the door for this sort of thing so I mean, in this case, we're talking about a government doing that, saying like this mm -hmm. group is separate. But yeah, it's always just important to remember where, you know, people are like snowflakes, right? Pretty much the same unless you take the time to pay attention to right. the differences. <laughs> I have a little bit of a different twist on that. Everybody's like, oh, snowflakes are unique. It's like, no, they're all pretty much the same unless yeah. you like really look like we're all pretty much the same. We have different characteristics, but we're all overall we're, 
you know, we have the same interests. We all have families and things that we worry about. We all just want generally the best for each other. We have so many more similarities than we do differences, but we focus on the differences. Anybody who thinks that this is okay is deeply disturbed or has been completely reprogrammed, yeah, or indoctrinated into thinking this is okay. And even the quote that they used earlier in the article, it, it was like, oh, we want to see the rats stomped out in the street. And even that, just to say it like that, it's like, dude, if I saw rats on the street, I'm not going to go just stomp them for no reason. You know what I mean? Like if they're attacking my kids or something, then yes, I'm going to stomp on them. But I'm not just going to be like, oh, rats, everybody stomp on them. And even that is crossing the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of Falun Gong practitioners were detained and many went missing immediately after the persecution began. These innocent prisoners of conscience were deprived of their fundamental human rights for no reason other than their beliefs. Falun Gong practitioners became the dominant group in communist China's extra-legal system of labor camps and detention centers. Now, with this enormous group of perfectly healthy people, all of whom the party sought to eradicate, and many of whom were never even documented as entering the system, the Communist Party saw an opportunity. Full of hatred and viewing them as non-people, they turned the entire population of Falun Gong prisoners into the world's only living organ bank. Now they could not only kill off Falun Gong, but make a fortune selling their vital organs through state-run hospitals. The country had already established a system for collecting organs from executed prisoners. Now they are able to scale the whole operation up to frightening, unprecedented levels. I also assume that the prisoners have no choice. Like, you know, in America, we can as a a death row inmate could say, no, I I don't want to donate my organs. You know, I want to be buried whole. That's part of my religious beliefs or whatever. I'm assuming that maybe some of these death row prisoners would say, yeah, maybe I want to try and do something good with my death, I guess, instead of life, help somebody else out. But if there's 10,000 of them or 15,000 of them, it's not 100% definitely that are saying sure take my corneas and my liver and my kidneys and my heart and my lungs and who knows what else they take i mean i guarantee that there's some weird market out there for something we don't know about like oh this person wants new ears you know they don't like the way their ears flop around or you know (laughs) there's there's just got to be something else i mean i could see like bald people getting like a hairline transplant that they you know, use these Falun Gong for or whatever. But yeah. anyway, let's talk about Jing Zemin's personal crusade. Think of Stalin's great purge and Mao's cultural revolution as things of the past that couldn't possibly happen today. But Jiang Zemin's personal crusade against Falun Gong is exactly the same. When Jiang started the persecution in 1999, he found little support from the other members of the Politburo Standing Committee. Undaunted, Zhang decided to act on his own, using the campaign against Falun Gong to simultaneously push out his political rivals within the party. Through this, he led the entire country to wage war against the Falun Gong. According to CNN senior China analyst Willie Lam, quote, Zhang has mobilized a Mao-era mass movement against Falun Gong. And 
The most severe criticism leveled at Jung's handling of the Falun Gong is that he seems to be using the mass movement to promote allegiance to himself. There's not really much to say. This guy's just the Himmler to the party, right? Like he's in charge of calling this group out and, you know, making them just less than human and convincing people it's okay to take these people and do what you want with them because they practice Falun Gong. They're a little bit different than us, just a little bit. Right. That seems like a good comparison. Like if Hitler was Xi Jinping, then this is, yeah, Himmler, like a second in command or the kind of mastermind or architect of it. Yeah. The fucking dick writer that's like, oh, I want to be like you. That's great. We'll work together and, you know, I can be the star scream to your Megatron. <laughs> I realized I'm, I, I appreciate that reference. <laughs> I'll get you that organ, Megatron. <coughs> oh, it's harsh on your throat. Yeah, you're going to hurt yourself to that voice. Anyway, we talked about them using propaganda. Tell us about the dehumanizing propaganda they used. They're still using it as we speak. So, To illustrate the inhumanity of the persecution, here is one story told by an inmate recently released from prison in China. An elderly Falun Gong practitioner refused to renounce his belief and was thus tortured. To protest the abuse, he went on a hunger strike which made him extremely weak. Between the torture and malnourishment, his health drastically deteriorated. As he neared death, the guards simply dragged him to the hallway and left him lying on the ground. For days, this elderly man lay in the fetal position, his life withering away as guards walked past without a second glance. He died in silence, his body removed along with that day's trash. In an environment so thick with hate and slander, so devoid of humanity, is it any wonder that Falun Gong practitioners came to be killed for their organs? And we will get into the evidence for all of this after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. If you're going to China and you're going to get a liver transplant during the three weeks you are there, then that means someone is going to go schedule an execution. And that is a quote from Arthur L. Kaplan, PhD, Director of Medical Ethics at NYU Langone Medical Center. According to data published by the United States Department of Health and Human Services, the average waiting period for organs in the U.S. is two years for a liver and three years for a kidney. In China, the waiting period for these organs at some hospitals is calculated in weeks. One week for a liver transplant. One week to one month for a kidney. If the first surgery fails, you get a second surgery within one more week. So, let's talk about this. U.S. liver, two years. Kidney, three years. Eight months for a heart. A year and a half for a pancreas and three years for a lung or kidney. So we have a waiting list, and people are kind of triaged, like, hey, this guy is you know, going to die if he doesn't get a kidney transplant you know, within the next couple months. They kind of push those people to the front of the list, I think, but you get the idea. So 
you're waiting a long time in the United States and you're getting your organs from someone who chose to be an organ donor and, you know, help people out. How much is your body worth? These are Chinese values, um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm putting them in U.S. dollars. So what you're hearing is U.S. dollars for what it costs to get a body part in China. Kidney, 62000 Liver, 98000 to $130,000. Heart, 130000 to 160000 Kidney and pancreas, 150000 Lungs, hundred and fifty to one hundred seventy thousand liver and kidney one hundred and sixty thousand to one hundred and eighty thousand okay so I should clarify first the liver and kidney that is a surgery for both organs it's not liver or kidney it's liver and kidney and these values come directly from the China International Transplantation Network Assistance Center they have these people that they hate and don't care about and who knows the leadership in the ccp is probably like oh these aren't bad people but we need some we need a target we need a boogeyman like you've said then they're making half a million dollars on one body and we're just talking about the big organs you know you can donate skin for grafts for people that have burned or something corneas all kinds of stuff so off of each falun gong member that they murder you're looking at about a half a million dollars. So they're just money. They're seen as numbers, money, cattle, whatever, sheep, whatever you want to say. Right, just cash waiting to be taken to the bank. Exactly. SITNAC, which is, again, the China International Transplantation Network Assistance Center. Not going to say that again. SITNAC was founded in the Transplantation Institute at the first affiliated hospital of China Medical University. So that's kind of a, a fancy way of saying basically a college hospital, right? Yeah. So its website was shut down soon after the organ harvesting was exposed. Hmm, nothing to see here. Furthermore, the China Southern Weekend reported, quote, the Oriental Organ Transplant Center's rapid growth has brought about huge revenue and profits. So there's your motivation along with having a group of people that you see as a threat being removed. I mean, they are taking good people and turning them into, you know, piles of flesh and making a huge profit off it. Right. According to previous media reports, liver transplants alone bring the center an annual income of 100 million yuan. It's quite a bit, put it that way. According to a Phoenix Weekly 2006 report, quote, in 2004, the fee for a liver transplant at the Oriental Organ Transplant Center was 32,000, which is approximately 250,000 yuan. Can you do the math on that real quick? Yeah, the 100 million yuan is equivalent to about $14 million. A little more. 14,340,000. This is what their media is reporting. So... I don't know. Do we trust them? I sure don't. No. <laughs> no, I think no is the right answer. Yeah. Some intermediary agencies charged a brokering fee as high as 13000 U.S. dollars. People with financial means are willing to buy organs at a high cost, 
and the huge profit pushes the hospitals to pursue sources of organs by all means necessary to increase their profit margins. All about profits. Given China's political and legal environment, certain groups of people become especially susceptible targets, namely the Falun Gong. The evidence is in plain sight. It's not even really like they're hiding it. It's just kind of like they're not talking about it and they're not coming out and admitting it, but they're not really doing enough to hide the numbers. So it's pretty easy to see. There were more than 600 hospitals and over 1,700 doctors engaged in organ transplant surgeries in 2007. By comparison, the United States has about 130 hospitals specializing in liver transplant surgery and fewer than 244 kidney transplant centers, according to CNN and the National Kidney Center. But now to get into organ transplant tourism. Organ transplant tourism was a thriving business in China for several years. According to Wang Hong Liang, which is probably somehow wrong, uh, in his 2004 investigation in Lifeweek magazine, quote, besides Korean patients, there are patients from more than 20 countries and regions in Asia, such as Japan, Malaysia, Egypt, Pakistan, India, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan, who have come to the Tianjin Number no. 1 Central Hospital for organ transplants. The ward cafeteria looks like an international conference center where patients of different colors and ethnic backgrounds gather to share their medical experiences. End quote. Wang's article states that in September of 2006, the Oriental Organ Transplant Center built a new building with a price tag of 130 million yuan, which we know is probably somewhere around $60 million. The new building has 500 beds with a more than 10,000 overall annual turnover rate. The surgery center in the new building can support the operation of nine liver transplants and eight kidney transplants simultaneously. Transplant tourism remains an ethical challenge. Dr. Kaplan, head of the Division of Bioethics at New York University Langone Medical Center, said in his article, Bioethics of Organ Transplantation, travel to China by foreigners to secure organ transplants has grown over the past decade. Transplant tourists are attracted by a competitive price and guarantee of a transplant. With no cadaver organ procurement system in place, the only way to guarantee the transplant of a liver or heart during the short time a transplant tourist is in China is to find matches among those in prison and execute anyone who is a suitable match. After organ harvesting of live Falun Gong practitioners was exposed, the Ministry of Public Health in China put a stop to the organ transplant tourism and prohibited Chinese hospitals from performing organ transplant surgeries on foreign patients. However, a Chinese organ broker, Omar Healthcare Service, was still running online advertisements soliciting patients in the West to receive organ transplants in China, suggesting that Chinese transplant tourism is still ongoing. None of the surgeons involved in these crimes have been brought to justice. Pretty scary. Very. But this is some, like, Reddington-level shit, right? Like, if you guys haven't seen The Blacklist, it's amazing, so you should check that out. And <laughs> a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the stuff that happens in that show is probably pretty accurate. Mm. I can't imagine my job is an organ broker. I mean, how cold do you have to be? I'm going to get involved in this. I'm not going to cut people up, but I'm going to get involved in this. I'm, I see a way to make a profit off of genocide. So I'm going to just go for it. I'm going to be a, an organ broker. You know, these people 
that are going over there for organ transplant tourism, it's hard for me to judge because I don't know what I would do if they said you've got three months to live. You can go to China and try and get an organ there. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. it's life or death, your values tend to change a little bit. Not, right. I'm, I think it would be easy to justify in a situation like that, you know, well, these people, they're going to die anyway. They're in prison. They committed some crime. They did something that landed them there. You know, there's no way this is just about money. <laughs> right. Exactly. And right. Yeah, yeah. You would kind of your ethics would would uh, maybe become a little bit more malleable than normal. That's a great way to put it. It's easy when you don't need something to survive to sit in judgment of people that take that route. But it's kind of like fight or flight. You know, you don't know what you'll do until it happens. You know, if they know as little as possible, you know, they're like, I'm not going to look anything up. I'm not going to do any research on it. I just need this. I don't want to hear about, you know, people being separated from their families and murdered so I can get a liver. So we'll talk about the 610 office or the Chinese Gestapo. The 610 office is a secretive entity with sweeping and vaguely defined powers, often likened to the Chinese version of the Gestapo, the secret police of Nazi Germany. It was set up by former head of the party, Jian Zemin, who we've been talking about and probably are pronouncing the name wrong, on June 10th of 1999, hence the name 610, with the express purpose of carrying out the persecution of the Falun Gong. With a structure extending from top to bottom throughout the party, government, and military, it has the power to command all police and judicial organizations. The 610 office called more than 3,000 officials to the Great Hall of the People on November 30th, 1999, to address the campaign against Falun Gong. The head of the 610 office, Li Lanqing, announced the government's new policy on the movement to defame their reputations, bankrupt them financially, and destroy them physically. Since the persecution began in July of 1999, the office has used the country's newspapers, television stations, radio stations, websites, and loudspeakers in rural areas to broadcast anti-Falun Gong propaganda. It also used Xinhua News Agency, China News Service, China News Agency, party-controlled media overseas, and Chinese consulates to spread this propaganda globally. So that's a, that's a lot of ways of reaching out. The demonization and incitement of hatred against Falun Gong provided a basis on which crimes against practitioners could be justified. So a little bit like we just talked about. Yeah. Now imagine this. Imagine if our government was like, hmm, these CrossFit people, they seem to be in really good shape. They exercise all the time. They eat healthy. They don't drink. They don't smoke. Let's target them. Could you imagine, like, you start seeing things on TV, you know, CrossFit people hate animals, and, you know, they go on, whatever, whatever, then, oh, the CrossFit people are trying to get into the government, and they're going to try and make this mandatory, just whatever the bullshit propaganda is, against a group of people that are living a healthy lifestyle. It sounds insane, but this is exactly what's happening in China right now. All right, let's talk about industrialization of organ transplantation. Since 2000, a large number of national and military transplantation medical technology research centers and key research laboratories have been established. 
They incubated new transplant technologies, and that led to the rapid development of the transplant industry. So we have the Chinese government, which, you know, we don't really expect much out of them because we know what they're all about. But you have doctors and you have businessmen and you have travel agents. You know, you have this whole industry based on stealing body parts from innocent people. After nearly 40 years of preparation and then relying on a living organ bank, transplantation in China saw a unique explosive growth from sporadic cases to the large-scale transplant industry it has now. After 40 years of preparation, that is the long game if I've ever heard of it. We talk about people like Bill Gates and, you know, these people that have these agendas and how it's a, a long game. And, you know, if, it, if his goals don't happen in his lifetime, he hopes to pass it on to someone else. I mean, this is exactly what's happening. It's like a snake, right? Not all snakes curl up and try and bite you. Some of them just kind of creep up and slowly oh they're kind of around your leg and then oh they're moving up oh shit now they're around your neck and your chest and you can't breathe and that's I think a good comparison as to how this came about because they didn't come out and say hey uh, our plan is within 40 years to have a thriving organ transplant industry based on what we have in excess of which is people. But the timing of this growth corresponds to that of the Chinese Communist Party's persecution campaign against the Falun Gong. Mounting evidence tells a terrible tale of murder and mutilation in China. Witnesses and Chinese physicians have revealed that thousands of persons affiliated with the Falun Gong are being killed for their organs, which are sold and transplanted at an enormous profit. Well, let, let's take a break again real quick, and then you can tell us about the new source of organs. Sure. Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you'll receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. They're pretty dope shirts with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines. Uh, my favorite is a cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. The designs are actually silk screened onto a soft style tee, and we all know those are super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. Each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. You can find the link in the show notes and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so we would really appreciate it too.
Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. In particular, young practitioners from rural areas are thought to have become a key target for live organ harvesting. Some Chinese prisons have a regulation to provide periodic physical exams for inmates. In reality, that is hard to carry out. However, the health checklist for Fulongong inmates is different from the one used for regular inmates. Common physical exam items for regular inmates included taking blood pressure, listening to the heart and lungs, palpitating the liver and spleen area, and taking chest x-rays, which could cost roughly 60 yuan. Blood tests are not done routinely on regular inmates. For detained practitioners, on the other hand, blood tests, which are a key step in organ matching, were very common. In 2009, during the taping of Between Life and Death, New Tang Dynasty Television interviewed several practitioners who had undergone such blood tests during their detention. Miss Gan Na, who currently lives in Toronto, Canada, was from Beijing. She was formerly a customs official at the Beijing airport. In 2001, when she was detained for the third time at Jinan Women's Forced Labor Camp, she was given a blood test, x-rays, an electrocardiograph test, and eye exams. She told NTDTV, it seemed very strange to me at the time. The guards at the forced labor camp had never treated us like we were human, yet we were given this thorough physical exam. It felt very strange. While practitioners in labor camps are possible victims of organ harvesting, those missing could face a more horrible fate. No forced labor camp or prison in China would detain an inmate who did not have a name or address for long because they could not complete the registration process. These inmates would be transferred to other locations. Many Falun Gong practitioners who refused to reveal their names and addresses went missing. A phenomenon worth mentioning here is that the regime has adopted a vicious implication policy in its persecution of Falun Gong practitioners. Members of the practitioner's family can be fired from their jobs, supervisors at the person's place of work can be punished, co-workers can lose their bonuses, in some cases even local government officials can lose their positions. Through this policy, the regime isolates Falun Gong practitioners and turns everyone against them. As a result, others are more willing to participate in the persecution. Those who previously sympathized with Falun Gong become resentful when they lose their bonuses, and local government officials do everything they can to prevent Falun Gong practitioners from going to Beijing to appeal so they can save their positions. Local public security members have been dispatched to Beijing to stop local practitioners from appealing to the Central Office of Letters and Calls. The Beijing office of the local government has turned into a police station to arrest and detain Falun Gong practitioners who have gone to Beijing. In resisting the regime's implicating policy, many practitioners who went to appeal refused to reveal their names and addresses to the authorities. Based on practitioners sharing articles on the Ming Minghui website, close enough, <laughs> resisting the demands to reveal their identity and location became a common practice after the year 2000. So what has happened to these practitioners? Many of them went missing and likely were detained in large concentration camps. In hindsight, the detention of these practitioners in large numbers would have helped facilitate large-scale live organ harvesting. In their book, Bloody Harvest, The Killing of the Falun Gong for Their Organs, authors David Matas and David Kilgore interviewed many Falun Gong practitioners around the world who had been detained in China. These practitioners all mentioned that they had met many practitioners in detention who refused to reveal their names and addresses, and they eventually went missing. At the same time, many of the missing practitioners' families did not know that these people had gone to appeal for Falun Gong and therefore had no idea of their whereabouts. The harsh reality is that they do not know where to find their loved ones. A Chinese lawyer living overseas confirmed that one of his clients, whom he represented while he was in Shanghai, was in a similar situation. 
He went missing from his dorm in Shanghai Jiao Tong University, and his whereabouts remain unknown. In new leads in the investigation of Sujatan Concentration Camp, a practitioner stated, After December 20th of 2000, the number of practitioners sent to detention centers suddenly increased to dozens or even over a hundred each day, whereas previously only about one dozen practitioners would be sent there. All practitioners were assigned a number. Within a few days, the cells were full. The guards interrogated them each day and asked for their names. They used electric batons and other forms of torture on the practitioners and also encouraged the inmates to beat the practitioners. Most of the practitioners still refused to tell their names. The guards finally stopped asking and said, Okay, if you refuse to tell me, I'll send you to a place where you will tell. In early 2001, groups of practitioners were sent away in big buses in the early morning every other day. An 18-year-old girl from Shandong province shared the same cell with me. Her number was K28. One morning, her number was called by mistake. She got on the bus and later returned. She said all the practitioners were being taken to northeastern China. Later, the guards openly told us that they were sending the practitioners to northeastern China. During that period, many of them were sent there from Beijing. End quote. That was all one big, long set of quotes for this story. And I also never want to say the word practitioner again. Fair enough. I've said it about 14,000 times, I think. If I took a shot every time I said the word practitioner, I'd be dead. <laughs> um, let's, yeah, well, let's just call him Falun Gong then. Let's talk about death row inmates. And we talked a little bit about the math earlier. Admitting the wide use of organs from death row inmates and denying allegations of organ harvesting from living Falun Gong members while resolutely opposing any independent investigation into these allegations is the Chinese regime's current stance. Now, if people get arrested for something, I suggest getting a lawyer. But if you are saying, no, I'm not going to let an independent investigation take place, to me, that may as well be an admission of guilt. Or they're hiding something else that's awful. You know what I mean? If you have nothing to hide, you would welcome an independent investigation. Be like, yeah, this is bullshit, dude. We're not doing this. Come in and you know, do your investigation. You can have access to our computers and our, you know, our billing and, and stuff like that. But no, they say, no, thanks. We're not going to have an investigation. The Chinese regime's transition from categorical denial of the widespread use of organs from death row inmates to a high profile admission took place as serious charges were being brought forth. Procuring organs from living Falun Gong practitioners. How can people today believe the Chinese regime's denial of these serious new charges any more than its previous denial of using organs from executed inmates? So, let's do some simple math. Executed prisoners account for a major source of organs. Before 2007, as much as 90%, only about 130 people in China, signed up to donate their organs between 2003 and 2009. So there you go. 130 people said, fine, we'll donate our organs. And that's not going to get you 8,000 hearts, right? Right. So the number of death row inmates has actually decreased since 99. Since 2000, there was a big boom of organ transplants from nowhere to become the world's number two transplant nation without any volunteer donation and sharing system in place. So basically, they don't really have organ 
donor card. It's just not something that they do because they don't need to because they just go get it from healthy people. They don't need to, you know, have someone that overdosed on fentanyl that agreed to donate their organs to see if they're, you know, even worth transplanting. So where did those organs for the big surge come from? This is a quote from the United Nations Committee Against Torture from 2008. The committee takes cognizance of the allegations presented to the Special Rapporteur on Torture, who has noted that an increase in organ transplant operations coincides with, quote, the beginning of the persecution of Falun Gong practitioners. So, like we were saying earlier, you know, you see all of a sudden, you know, 10,000 people are detained for these camps, and then all of a sudden we've got a huge surge in availability of organs. So, I mean, that pretty much speaks for itself. The China Tribunal, chaired by Sir Jeffrey Nice, lead prosecutor of Slobodan Milosevic at the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, conducted the world's first independent legal analysis of forced organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience in China. The tribunal examined all available evidence in order to determine what criminal offenses, if any, may have been committed by individuals affiliated to the state or state-approved bodies, organizations, or officials in China that may have engaged in forced organ harvesting. Joining NICE were six tribunal members from the U.S., U.K., Malaysia, and Iran, bringing expertise in international human rights law, transplant surgery, international relations, Chinese history, and business. The China Tribunal Judgment incorporates all available evidence up to June 2019 and outlines the reasoning behind the China Tribunal's findings. The judgment is 160 pages, which is slightly longer than this script. (laughs) Nice. The judgment is 160 pages with extensive appendices that include details of all documents, reports, witness testimonies, and submissions reviewed by the tribunal over 12 months. Public hearings were held in December of 2018 and April of 2019, in the course of which over 50 fact witnesses, experts, and investigators contributed evidence. If you have Iran investigating you for, (laughs) you know, crimes against humanity, you're in trouble. Like, I don't know a whole lot about Iranian policy and stuff like that, but if, if they're called in, you know, like, hey, Iran, um, these guys are really like you. You're fucked up, but these guys are really fucked up. So we want you to be a part of this tribunal. So anyway, go ahead. The China Tribunal also received expert legal opinions from Edwards Fitzgerald and Datuk N. Savanantan. Sure, that sounds good to me. The tribunal's members unanimously and beyond reasonable doubt concluded that in China, forced organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience has been practiced for a substantial period of time, involving a very substantial number of victims. While the PRC has changed its rhetoric about the sources of organs for transplantation, the tribunal found that its claims are unbelievable and that official statistics have been falsified. Surprise! Yeah, so this judgment includes the following conclusions. Some of the conclusions from this judgment. Forced organ harvesting has been committed for years throughout China on a significant scale, and Falun Gong practitioners have been one and probably the main source of organ supply. In regard to the Uyghurs, the tribunal had evidence of medical testing on a scale that could allow them, amongst other uses, to become an organ bank. 
Commission of Crimes Against Humanity Against the Falun Gong and Uyghurs has been proved beyond a reasonable doubt. And the last excerpt. Governments and any who interact in any substantial way with the People's Republic of China should now recognize that they are, to the extent revealed above, interacting with a criminal state. So that's pretty strong wording. Yeah, it a, is. a criminal state. And what, what else can you say? It's proven. So yeah. just know that if you're getting your iPhones made in China... You are, and I'm not judging anybody who purchases these items, you know, that are, are made in these sweat, not, not sweat lodges, sweatshops, mm-hmm. maybe sweat lodges. I don't know. But um, it's a criminal state. The dictator, I mean, we call him a dictator, right? You know, you put a gun to my head at a polling station. I'll be like, okay, who, who am I voting for again? Yeah. I think he has like a 99 or 100% approval rating, even though there are regularly protests in the street. Right. So I'm sure that all their records and everything are totally democratically done and fair and all that. Everything's on the up and up. Totally. So so that's pretty much it for the organ harvesting of the Falun Gong practitioners. Mm. There is more. First, we demand that you share this episode on social media. Scream it from the mountaintops. This must end. So... When you share the link to this podcast, you're spreading the word about the evils of China and their organ harvesting campaign and industry. Just remember that you're, you're doing something good for us, but you're doing something good for the world when you share this on your social media. Click the Parabox link in the show notes to find out about their awesome mysteries and t-shirts and why they're a perfect partner for Cryptique. That's all we've got for you tonight. We hope you're appalled at everything you learned. Learn what you can do to help at stoporganharvesting.org. Stoporganharvesting.org. Do a good deed and plaster this on social media to help spread the word. Like, subscribe, etc. And check out the amazing Parabox Mystery t-shirt box at the link in the show notes. And to all you pussy Che Guevara wannabes, take those goddamn Red Star stickers off the beat-up 97 Accord you inherited from your grandma and take your organ donor card with you and hop on the next flight to Xinjiang. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.